I didn't know that one third of the world doesn't have access to safe and clean sanitation. I didn't know that 800 kids on a daily basis die because of a lack of sanitation. What is the Goodroll? Um, uh, the Goodroll is a toilet paper tea roll company uh, in which we try to make the world less shitty. So obviously my podcast is called The Quarter Life Crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you experience a quarter life crisis? Actually, I, yeah, maybe yeah, a little bit. Yeah. How many communities would you be able to help with that? Yeah, it's crazy because you, you should, we have a very low estimate that we use, but it's average of 50 persons per toilet. So it's, and, uh, but also we build at schools where there are 3,000 students. If the good role were to fail now, yeah. would you regret having tried? No, if you, if you would tell me like five years ago, I would have a toilet paper company, <laughs> I would tell you we're nuts. So, uh, Melle, thank you very much for your time. First yeah, of yeah. All. Welcome. I like to start my um, all my podcasts in with the same question because I feel like it sets the tone for the rest of the conversation. So, my question for you is: Are you happy? Uh, actually, I am. Uh, I'm actually very happy at the moment. So, uh, yeah. What makes you happy? Uh, what makes me happy is that at this point in life, I have the feeling that I'm busy with projects that I love. Um, I have a home, a family that I'm very proud of. I have two daughters um, um, and a wife. And as they say, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. So actually, and in, in, in every point, uh, of course, it's still really busy, but there's more some kind of ease in, in what I'm doing professionally, but also more of an ease in what I'm doing socially and in private. Yeah. So I can, yeah, fair enough. I can say I'm in a happy, happy place right now. So it feels good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, from my quick research on you, I see that you have been an entrepreneur for quite some time now. Been doing a bunch of different ventures. Yeah, yeah. What was your first experience with entrepreneurship like? My first experience with entrepreneurship was it was hard work. <laughs> um. I was. I actually started with a with a side job when I was quite young. I was uh, thirteen, okay, um, and that was my first job that I got on my own. So not with the help of my parents. I was actually younger when I had my first job. In Holland, we have bolle uh, bolle pelle. Mm -hmm. So it's like you work on land on farms, and you go out early in the morning. And it's like a, it's it's a typical children's job job when you go to the north of Holland. That was actually my first job. That was hard work, um, but I think the. the my, actually, my father made me do that job when I was young. So, but the first job that I found myself was a, a paper round. And I hated it. Yeah. I really hated it. So I think my, my job as a paper round boy in Amsterdam, it was the best as well. I think I quit after two months. Uh, and then I started working in, uh, in uh, the new market in Amsterdam. Because every Saturday and Sunday, they did the emballage of their of their bottles of Coke, Coca-Cola, Fanta, Sprite, beer bottles, uh, because they all had to be returned on Monday uh, to the suppliers. Yeah. So there were big, like big freights of all kinds of glass bottles, and they all need to be um, separated and put in the in the in the right crates. So Coca-Cola and the in the in the famous red ones, and Fanta and the green ones, and beer of course in the in the Heineken ones. And this was a job was actually quite cool because I did it on my own. I could put on the music really loud. And they gave me from nine in the morning to one in the afternoon to do all their emballage, as it's called. And, and they paid me fairly. Yeah. Uh, so that was my first introduction in, 
in my first job and uh, I did it almost until I was 15, 16. Uh, and then I became a bartender there and then I uh, did day shifts. And since then I've been working in hospitality actually as a side job. Yeah. 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 And then you started ventures in hospitality. What yeah. attracted you to the hospitality industry then? I think in, in hospitality, it doesn't really matter what your background is or, or what you have done or who you are. Um, and I really like the family feel of working together with colleagues and especially on busy nights. At the end, you feel some kind of accomplishment when you have done like a busy shift together. I really love that. I love the family vibe that we had in the places where I worked. Of course, people have different experience with hospitality, but for me, it was, um, it was a very nice place. And you, and you learn so much. You learn how to read people. You learn how to handle guests. You learn how to handle complaints. Uh, you learn how to make people happy. You learn how to make sure people have a wonderful night. I worked in a, in a place which was like a lunch, and dinner, restaurant by day. Yep. And at nighttime, all the tables came out. The DJ came to play. Right. And it was one of the most popular venues in Amsterdam at that point. Okay. So it was from like uh, 12 in the afternoon until 3 at night. It was busy. It was buzzing. And, and you learned so many different aspects of hospitality at that place, which was really cool. And I think the most fascinating part of it was learning how to read people. Yeah. That was really, really cool. And I think that was, for me, one of the things that I got the most from working in hospitality. What, what exactly about that ability to read people interested you? The, um, the interesting part is if, you, what I, if I learned how to read people, I know I, will, I could react react to certain questions or orders or even complaints already before they made them. So it's, it's, a, it's a very static uh, like example, but when somebody's very grumpy looking at your bar, I can, I can handle them like in a very grumpy way as well, or I can just be overly happy and already check with my colleagues what the problem was and make sure that I address the problem, it's fixed, and then come with a solution and yeah. he's a happy patron. So these kinds of things, I still until this day, uh, I use in daily life in terms of negotiation, but also handling staff, also handling all kinds of aspects of doing business. Yeah. So I really like that about hospitality. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how did that transition then from hospitality to building a toilet paper company? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, if you, if you would tell me like five years ago, I would have a toilet paper company, <laughs> I would tell you we're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's it's um, um, from hospitality. My first, I, 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 my first company when I was nineteen, um, because I started uh, hosting events. Yeah, and we started hosting events in nightclubs in Amsterdam, and I even did events in nightclubs I wasn't allowed to go in because you had to be twenty-one. Right. Yeah. Um, but we started doing events for eighties and nineties music because I really loved eighties and nineties music and the place where I worked. Yeah. Was old school house, old school eighties and nineties rock and pop. And I saw that there was a very big group in, in that time in, the, in Amsterdam. You only had like, or it was a hip hop night or it was a house night. But there wasn't a real like old school top 40 night, like songs for everybody. So we started hosting those parties at several venues in, uh, in Amsterdam. And that grew to a brand that is still here today, Terug naar Toen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a party that's still all over the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it still exists, which is really cool. And we founded that. Yeah. Now it's almost 17 years ago so uh, it's i think it's actually become, while, yeah. it's, it's, it's becoming one of the longest uh in the netherlands in amsterdam for sure i think so that's uh, that's cool yeah and from there i started doing events we went into uh, uh creating actually new hospitality concepts which was very cool and 
And we had our own concepts and then people started asking us, hey, you have really cool concepts. Maybe you can help me think about a concept I want to do here or here. And then I started a company which was called the Concept Creators. Right. And the Concept Creators was a brand in which we helped uh, entrepreneurs that had an idea or a hospitality related idea or concept. Uh, we helped them realize it. It was as easy, easy as that. And in, in that process, uh, we got a lot of questions as well from big hotel chains. And I was doing a very big research for uh, Apollo Hotels. It's a big hotel chain in the Netherlands. And I was doing a research in terms of um, sustainability. And it was sustainability. How can we be more sustainable, but in a way it doesn't affect cost? So it was quite a, yeah. it was a, a very typical question yeah, yeah. Uh, at that time for a big uh, company, yeah. company like that. Exactly. And I was already very interested in sustainability, but it wasn't my top. Just for my own understanding, how, how long ago was that? This is six years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, six years ago. So it's a little bit fast forward uh, from having restaurants to having the, the concept creators company. Yeah. And uh, we did the research there and we talked to, um, uh, to them and we did quite some extensive research. So what are big wastes uh, happening in, in, for instance, hotels? Of course, it was food waste. Yeah. Uh, but you already had quite some very cool, creative new concepts that were tackling those problems. Uh, we had linen, like the washing of the linen, so bed sheets, uh, towels, everything. But it, it, it was a market that was already uh, being addressed. I, I felt it was coming up. Um, we had transport. We had uh, staff. Uh, but I also found out there's a lot of paper being used in hospitality, in the kitchen, but also in the hotel rooms. Yeah. Because there was this very weird thingy that four and five stars hotels, every time you checked in, there's always a new, new toilet roll. Which means that down in the, in the catacombs of the hotels, there's like this big pile of not used toilet paper. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is very, very strange in terms of sustainability, but also in terms of just economically, why are they wasting so much paper that they're paying a lot of money for? Yeah. So I went more into detail into paper. Where is it made from? Of course, it's made from trees, but is it really recycled? Uh, are the claims that they are saying, are they true? And in at that time, you had some really strange claims that you could say it was recycled, even though it was only 60% recycled and 40% virgin paper. So you had a lot of weird, cl weird uh, claims. And that really stuck with me because I thought, oh, this is a very niche market. There aren't very creative uh, companies in it. And there are just four or five very big companies that are actually processing all the toilet paper in the world. Yeah. So this really stuck in my mind. Um, and um, I was in that time introduced to a very cool Dutch brand, which was called Earthwater. And Earthwater, Henk Witteveen, I know him quite well. And he uh, told me his very inspirational story about, inspiring story about Earthwater. And what I really liked about Earthwater was you never drink alone. So you take a zip, you buy a bottle of water, you take a zip of it. And by having water, somebody else gets yeah. water as well. Right. So I really loved that idea. That, that gave me like a real eye opener that you can be, um, that you could create a brand that you could uh, sell a product which is not only good for the, the consumer that uses it but by using it you're helping somebody else that needs our help yeah and and then i was like that's very cool and then the third seat popped up because when i was 16 uh, my mom did a lot of development work in uh, eastern africa um, she worked but she was especially uh, focused on women rights so she did a lot for women rights a lot for schools for girls um, a lot in becoming economically independent. So they did, she did a lot of projects for several NGOs. And 
So from since I was young, it was always like a part of the family, but I was never very busy with it. Right. Uh, when I was 16, I wanted to drink beer with my yeah. friends and drive my scooter and whatever. But I actually went to South Africa with my, uh, with my mom at that time. And there I um, got sorry, a Sorry, at the time that you were starting with 16, the sorry, I was oh, 16. Yeah, 16. Yeah, 16. Yeah. And um, I actually was uh, getting um, introduced to Ziggy. Ziggy at that time was a guy who worked for the World Bank, I, I believe. And he was actually um, uh, um, a sanitation entrepreneur. So the only thing he did was build toilets on places that was lack of clean and safe sanitation. Right. And this was quite new for me because I, I didn't know that one third of the world doesn't have access to safe and clean sanitation. I didn't know that 800 kids on a daily basis die because of a lack of sanitation. And I didn't know that the impact what sanitation has. He told me, if we can just make sure that everybody in the world has a toilet, we will have such an economic boom in all these developing countries. Um, because one dollar or one euro that gets put into sanitation gives back five to six dollars to the community. And this comes, and he explained it to me, because um, kids can go to school. Yeah, It's as easy as that. When you have a stomach flu or you're not well or you're sick, you stay at home. Yeah. You don't go to school. You don't get educated. You cannot be a big part of the, maybe the growing economy that's there. People who work, stay at home, get sick or even get really sick or even die. So they cannot be part of their economy. So they can create uh, worth in each way. Um, and also, like for instance, girls when they're under period, especially in some African countries, they miss 12 weeks a year just because they stay at home when they're under the period. So if you talk about equality, it's also very strange. Girls just yeah. stay behind because of, and all these things together. Uh, Twelve years later, not fourteen years later. Pff, yeah. So I have toilet paper, which is it's 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 a commodity that's not being uh, creatively uh, pushed into market. Yeah. I'm inspired by a brand that gives just by using it. Yeah. And there's a problem in the world with toilets. Right. So those three together. Yeah. In my mind, the good role. Toilet paper that builds toilets. Right. Um, and that's actually beginning. That's uh, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great lead up to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now tell me more about the good roll. What is the good roll? Um, uh, the good roll is a toilet paper tea roll company uh, in which we try to make the world less shitty, uh, which means that 50% of our proceeds uh, go to our own foundation. Uh, and with that foundation, we build toilets on places they lack uh, clean and safe sanitation. Um, and as you can see around, it's behind you actually. Uh, that's an example of, of toilets we built. So we build at schools, we build at communities, and we build at household communities. Um, and in the three years that we've been active, we've built over 300 sanitation units. And our units uh, have uh, clean, and safe, clean and safe toilets, water if the community requires it, showers at schools, a changing room at schools for girls, for instance. And at all the schools we built, we also have um, menstruation education and we provide menstruation of kids for the girls. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's actually the, the thing we're most proud of. It's amazing. So instead of, we always say we're a toilet building company. Yeah. Uh, and we do that by selling toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Take the company from being something that is, you're not just selling another product, to, yeah. but to, to adding value. And yeah. that, I think that on its own is already amazing. Why yeah. is this mission, though, 
I mean, you already touched upon it with explaining yeah. your mama. Why is this mission so important to you? Why, for example, Ghana? You said that you yeah. built it there. Um, the, the, why it's so important for us? Because we truly believe that we, we hope by inspiring people, we can you change your way of thinking and we can change your way of, of using and buying products. As I always say, if, if you got introduced to the good role and you only bought us once, but after that you start buying recycled or after that you start buying project products in which you can help others, I'm already very happy. It sounds very strange, and it's, 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 but um, I really love it to see that you can inspire people that just by buying differently, change your behavior, you can actually make impact. Yeah. I'm not saying that all the, um, uh, like all the, how do you say it, all the, all the wave on the shoulders of the consumers yeah because i think the biggest change can be done of course at the at the big uh, companies the big firm, yeah but we already can make a very very big change and that's something that i i think you can feel in the veins of the entire company everybody that works here or is is part of us is truly very busy with the mission which is making impact on people's lives um and that's by doing that in, in africa uh, but also here because uh, our location where you are nowadays we have our own um, social workplace here. So we have around 80 people that had, we call it bad luck uh, on the way. Uh, so people with uh, a disability in any which way or people that uh, are just having a little bit of trouble getting into the right job, uh, we create a safe space in where they can learn new uh, traits. And from here on, they can uh, go to jobs that are uh, longer lasting or forever. Yeah. So, um, and all those parts together, they really important for us and to come back to your first question actually to the Vatagana um, one of our partners is Ghanaian Faisal um, and first we donated to several NGOs when we started three years ago so the first donation we did we did to NGOs yeah and we still love those NGOs and we still work with them but still those NGOs had offices those NGOs had staff those NGOs had a director those NGOs had a car so we were like we're working our butts off and we would really like to see that the money we put into building toilets, right? it should be more toilets. We were yeah. like, all that money only built four toilets. We were actually quite disappointed. We yeah. were like, we're never going to reach our mission of building a lot. And um, so as stupid entrepreneurs do, uh, we thought we could do it better ourselves. <laughs> so uh, we called a friend, uh, Faisal in this case, we said, Faisal, we're going to Ghana. He was like, okay. Uh, can you show us around in Ghana? And he was like, okay, you guys are nuts, but let's go. And, uh, and we went to Ghana and um, through several connections, we visited locations where they were uh, really uh, wanted to have new toilets. And this was at a school and at a community. And then we just started there. And actually, Faisal's cousin was a builder. Uh, he had his own construction company. And so we were right at the base, uh, at the root of, 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 of building toilets in this case. And we said, you know what? We're going to build the first two ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and we did. Yeah. And uh, since then, everything we've built, we've done with a local team. And what makes, it, what makes it even more cooler is that every project that we do, we go to the community and we sit with the community and we ask them, what do you need? Uh, what, would you, what would your dream toilet look like? What would it do for the community? And with all those wishes, we create uh, a sanitation unit, maybe with a shower, maybe with a kiosk. Maybe with a water unit, maybe with 10 toilets or five or two. And then we asked the local community if there are workers there. 
So the local community there builds their own toilet. Yeah. We pay it. So the workers get paid. The local community builds it. And that way, it's not the Goodwill Foundation providing them with a toilet. It's the Goodwill Foundation is only funding them. Exactly. They're building it. They're maintaining it. Uh, they're making it a part of their community. They came up with the wishes. So it feels as a part of them, of their community. And that makes it work. Yeah. Uh, because then it does, stuff doesn't get stolen. It doesn't get neglected. And we do checks on all our units. So every month, we have a scout that checks the toilet. Is still the soap there? Is still the brushes there? Does everything still work? Um, do they maintain it as we agreed? Uh, and it looks awesome. It's very cool. Awesome. Yeah. It's a bit of a digression, but what, to what extent do you believe in fate? Um, in two ways, I think. I think in... in, in, in I'm, I'm a true believer in, um, it sounds very cliche, but if you practice what you preach, I feel that in a certain way, um, faith comes on your way, like the way we met Faisal, the way we met his family, the way we met, I, I think it has to do with a certain, I, I'm, I'm not the affirmation kind of guy, um, but we had a very strong belief with a very strong mission still. And yeah. even though we have a lot of struggle and a lot of things goes wrong and some yeah. days I'm like, ah, everything yeah, goes course. wrong but <laughs> at the end the things that we really went for we really believed in and we really set our minds to um maybe it's fate maybe it's creating a little bit of faith by believing it will happen yeah. someday yeah so in, in in certain ways i think it's a it's a combination of creating it a little bit yeah. but also having the faith yeah. that it will work um, I'm, I'm usually not a big believer of fate either but yeah. it's just <laughs> in your case you have this like yeah. your mom at yeah. 16 yeah. and yeah. then you go there and yeah. you have this experience then you land in hospitality yeah. and yeah. you get shown it again yeah it almost becomes yeah. hard yeah. at yeah. some yeah. point yeah. too yeah. no and that's and that's and that's very cool and i think that makes it for us um yeah it sounds very like the first question are you happy i'm even though if 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 tomorrow the good role would disappear or whatever i would still be so happy with all the toilets that we have built it's just the the, the impact and it's it's only 300 toilets so we're not make we're not a solution we're not changing it we're um but we just hope to inspire to start somewhere yeah, and, right? and our ambition is to to provide all of ghana with toilets it's right. a very big hairy audacious goal and it's probably not gonna happen but we want to believe that we could maybe be that exactly. change um but even though if we only make 500, I'm still so happy uh, that we could be a part of that. And yeah. also the, I think the impact that comes along with those 500 toilets, I mean, that's how many communities would you be able to help with that? Yeah, it's crazy because you, you should, we have a very low estimate that we use, but it's average of 50 persons per toilet. So it's, and, uh, but also we build at schools where there are 3000 students. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's it, it really depends on where you or where you go. But already at the schools that we've been building and where we did the menstruational projects, uh, we get so much positive response and that attendance is rising, that attendance yeah. is going up. People feel safer and it's it's awesome. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um obviously you went into this industry with I would say lack of expertise in the sense of you, you it wasn't like you were working on toilet yeah, paper forever no, no, no. <laughs> did at any point sort of imposter syndrome come along the way or were you always convinced no we can make the difference here we yeah. got what it takes um of, of i i think having faith 
but in yourself, in your company, in your product, in your idea. I think like most entrepreneurs, you have to be a little bit nuts. Uh, yeah. If you truly believe in something, um, it, you just go, go, go until you succeed. Yeah. Um, and, and the funny thing is, I think we, we have this model. It's not a real model, but we have like a model, which is a square. And um, it starts with an idea. And normally you go to a build, you build the idea, and then you implement the idea. And then you learn from what you have done. Yeah. And then you're back to idea. Yeah, and yeah. then you do the, the feedback and you change it. But these are four steps. Yeah. We have an idea. We go straight to the learning phase. So we go here. So I want to do tissues. Okay, I'm going to build tissues. I'm going to implement it in the market. And then I'm going to get customer yeah, feedback. Exactly. I'm going to change the customer Optimize. feedback. Yeah. And then I'm optimizing. And then I'm doing it. Yeah. I think for us in, in, in an industry, which is paper, which is a very old school bureaucratic um, um, industry. Yeah. We were like very strange ducks because yeah. we were listening to customers. We were creating uh, things that, that, that made them feel like part of a family and making impact with a simple product as paper. So I think the, 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 the thing for us is just by having an idea and just go for it, just yeah. doing it and don't follow the structured lines, what everybody's telling you to follow. But just just go for your gut feeling. Yeah. Uh, go for it and and learn from the mistakes on the way, uh, which is one of the biggest lessons in, yeah. uh, in this part. But uh, no, that actually we still do it like that till this day. Yeah. To what extent do you believe you were? <sighs> My experience is that especially schools or yeah. the current school system, yeah. they don't set you up for failure. Yeah, they reward yeah. you when you do well yeah, and when yeah, you yeah, don't yeah, you yeah, lose yeah, and have to yeah. do it again yeah to what extent do you believe that in your upbringing or whatever it is you were built in such a way to be able to accept failure as a benefit rather than a downside i think it had to do with the combination of the the, the difference between my mom and my dad um my, my father was a notary my father was a very old school entrepreneur he had his own notary office he was uh very distinguished gentleman, right, uh, right. old school, gray suit, three ply. Um, and, and he was the kind of guy that um, um, uh, like an agreement is an agreement. Yeah. Uh, word of mouth is fine, but always stick to your promise, practice what you preach and, and be uh, the man. Uh, that needs. And he was all about success. Yeah. And he was all about go for your goals and succeed and making sure it happens. Failure is not an option. But my mom, who is a psychologist. Right. She was very about how do you feel and how did it make you feel? And it's very good to talk about what went wrong, learn from it. And, uh, and she was actually one of the, it's a kind of therapy, you call it uh, um, therapy. It's a therapy that goes uh, very into experiences and what you can learn from it. Um, and I think my mom practiced what she preached and uh, gave me like that therapy all my life right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> without me knowing. Yeah. No, no. But um, so I think the combination of those two, Yeah. I had a very strict, uh, my parents were divorced. So when I was with my father, it was very cool, but very strict. Yeah. And when I was with my mom, it was more mellow. It was more uh, about feelings and it was more about what could you learn and what could you do to help others. Yeah. Um, and I think that combination uh, maybe... Um, I never thought about it actually until you just did this question. So I'm actually That's thinking good. about it in my mind. So I think that combination maybe made that um, it's 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 also failures in any which way are completely fine. Yeah. As long as you learn from them, I think. Yeah. And they don't happen again. <laughs> so yeah, that's, exactly. So that's the combination maybe yeah. between uh, 
and also with my kids. My 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 kids are very mellow. I hope they're very um, into learning. Yeah, and they're they're not afraid to make mistakes. Yeah, and I really like to see that in my kids. Yeah, so they're they're re- really going for what they want what to they achieve. In, but they're but they they're fine in making mistakes. And, uh, and at this age, they're still changing what they want to do every day. So it's fine. Of but course. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, you did already answer it a little bit, but I just want to make sure. If the good role were to fail now, yeah, would you regret having tried? No. No, no, not at all. I think, um, and maybe that's if you, if you compare, it's 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 a strange comparison, but I'm still gonna do it. If you take an American entrepreneur um, and you take a Dutch entrepreneur, the Americans are all about failure and not giving up. So um, if if you, if a company in the states fails, um, you're not seen as a paria. You're not seen as an as somebody who didn't succeed. You're, you're you, as long as you handle it correctly. I'm not saying leaving debts and everything, yeah. blah, blah, but you're you're if you failed you tried yeah and i believe sometimes in the netherlands still it's it's sometimes it's it's changing a little bit but um people in the netherlands who tried something and failed uh they're often seen as 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 something that didn't work out it's not a positive vibe but i truly believe that everybody should try yeah and and you should go for it and if it fails um it can be a lot of things yeah it's not always uh, the product. It's not always done. It can be a lot of things together. Always take the responsibility, of course, because it's your company. But yeah. it can be a lot of facets. But um, I believe you should truly, 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 if you believe in it, you should always try. Yeah. Um, because it can be a learning curve. Yeah. If, if it comes from it, okay, that idea wasn't good, but you learned that you're a very good entrepreneur, you're very good for your staff, or you're very good at creating a community or whatever. It's a learning. Take that learning. Go for the next idea or next product kind of comes back to your model of do yeah, yeah, yeah. do again because i've i actually have friends that that failed five six times but in every process they learned an aspect about themselves that they were really good at or yeah. or there was somebody in their surroundings who was really good at it and um he became partner with his third failure <laughs> and with his third failure with his learnings from his first he now has a multi-million uh, multi, uh, uh, Euro company, yeah, which is doing very well. Yeah, nobody thought he would ever succeed again. No, but he believed. He went for it, took his learnings. Yeah, uh, and he went for it. And yeah. by try number six, he had it. To what extent it builds on what you just said? Uh, when, on the one hand, you're motivated to continue, continue, yeah. and and never give up. Yeah, is there a point when you should give up? In, in, in entrepreneurship and in having a business, there are also a lot of responsibilities. So if I'm on my own, uh, I think I would never give up. Right. <laughs> I keep on trying. But at a certain point, you have a responsibility for uh, staff, maybe, or your family. or um, at, If at a certain point it will do more wrong than it will do good, that's the, the point you should stop. Right. Um, and it's also good to reflect that's a bad situation example, but that sometimes it's also very good to reflect the learnings that you had and, and be fair to yourself that um, uh, stopping is not uh, a bad thing or a bad decision, but at a certain point, it's the right decision. Yeah. So also, again, stopping is not a bad thing, but at a certain point, if you learned um, that you're pulling like a death, death horse, uh, like to translate a very bad Dutch saying, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um, at a certain point, it's, it's, it's good to stop. Yeah. Take your learnings and 
um, and, and try or try something else, something completely different or take your time to reflect. But I think it's very important to also always take your time to reflect. Yeah. Because a lot of times we go, we go, we go. But it's also very important that sometimes we take a lot of knowledge that we don't process. So we need the time to reflect and take that knowledge and process it uh, just by taking a walk or just by being alone in the evening without your phone or Netflix or whatever and have the time to reflect. It sounds very uh, cliche, but it's actually true. Yeah. Uh, it can give you the space because you need to give your mind the space of coming up with ideas for maybe problems that need to be solved. Yeah. And um, I think that's a very important part as well. I suppose it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so obviously my podcast is called The Quarter Life Crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you experience a quarter life crisis? Actually, I, yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I was, I was the, one of the problems I have, I'm like a Duracell bunny. Uh, I just go, 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 yeah, okay. go. So the thing is that at a certain point, like for instance, if you're in a room with me like you, or you're completely exhausted after an hour with me, or you feel energized. Yeah. There's no in between. Yeah. And it's like what I've learned, or you like me or you hate me. It's that. <laughs> yeah. um, and at a certain point with all the impulses, I'm a creative guy, with all the impulses that I had and with everything, at a certain point, you feel that you need to do a lot. Right. And, and I want to do more and more and more and more. And at a certain point, it gave me a very empty feeling. Okay. Because I thought, am I doing enough? Um, was my workday busy enough? Yeah. Did, did I do enough today to, to achieve my goals? And, and then I was like, yeah, I had three goals. I had four meetings. I had two calls. I had all my meals done. But at the end of the day, I didn't feel like I had a very productive day, which was insane. Yeah. Because I had a very busy day. So at that point, I started and needed to reflect what for me was a successful day. Mm -hmm. What? So I had to learn to give myself maybe call it daily goals or weekly goals. Yeah. But I had to give myself like a goal for my mind. For what would make today a successful day? And don't overachieve it. But it can be easy. Today I'm going to pick up the kids and have a great day. Yeah. And at the end of the night, we're going to high five each other and say, this was an awesome day. Just giving it. But the other part it was uh, today, I want to make sure that my team, sales, has all the information they need. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it could be a lot of things. And um, when I started doing that, the emptiness started clearing a little bit and it gave me more proper focus and it gave me the, the, the position to just focus on one goal, which was the good role. Yeah. Instead of wanting more, having an idea there and maybe trying that. And that's one of the hardest parts, I think, when you start a new business. Um, it's very uncertain in the beginning. Will it pay my bills? Yeah. Need to, do I need to bet? On multiple yeah. horses to make sure that I still have a steady income. And that gave me a very empty uh, like way of, uh, because I was doing like six things at the, yeah. at the same time. It's actually the follow-up question that I have. You are then obviously a serial yeah. entrepreneur, yeah. but equally for, I find for the few people that I have spoken to that are in this quarter-life crisis situation, I feel like they come there because there is a world of endless possibility. Yeah, and yeah, usually yeah. this happens post study yeah, 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 like you yeah, think yeah, you yeah, are yeah, clear with yeah, yeah, yeah. how do you how do you figure out what path am i supposed to focus on at yeah. the moment it's 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 very difficult I, I, although it was in my because like the 
especially when you were younger. And I started like being doing business when I was quite young, and and it's it's been like an up and down round ride. But at a certain point, I got kids. Yeah. So there comes a certain responsibility in terms of making sure that the home situation is always safe. Um, and like I said before about the multiple horses you bet on, it gives a lot of stress because um, if you have a lot, if you have a little bit in everything, you have a lot of nothing. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and that gave me a very empty feeling because I was only giving 20% here, 20% here, 20, because we only have 100%. People who say they have 200 or 300, it's not true. You have 100%. And if you do five things, even in those five things, just one of them gets the attention maybe that they need. And even it's not yeah. enough. And um, because the passion we had for the good role and, and the goals I wanted to achieve, I saw with my daily goals that they all went to the good role. Right. The other ones, yeah, they're nice. But And then uh, me and Sander, the co-founder, we were like, okay, we, we truly believe in this. We, we really feel like this is something that, we're, that we can make a difference with uh, in any which way. Yeah. Uh, so let's go for it. And that's the point that was very scary because we, did, we weren't making any money. Yeah. There wasn't any income whatsoever. Yeah. But uh, we just focused full force. We went for it. Yeah. Um, and until this day, I never regret that decision. So uh, that's very cool. I have this hypothesis about finding purpose comes from finding a passion. Yeah. Are there downsides chasing your passion? Yes. <laughs> what no, are they? I think that the, the, um, the downsides of changing your passion that, that you're you're probably leaving a lot for it. So in terms of, uh, I'm happy I didn't do it, but I came across a lot of opportunities uh, that would make me probably a very wealthy and very rich man at this point. Uh, I could be part of a couple of companies that I said no to because I focused on the good role and they went, they skyrocketed. But, right. now, but now these guys are under, uh, under half-life crisis because they're done, they sold their company and now they don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> no, no, but... Um, no, I think there can be some downsides because if you change your passion, you always come very focused on, on, on doing something you really love. Nine out of 10 times your, your job doesn't really feel like work, but it's a part of what you're doing. Um, so it can become very stressful, very, uh, but also very, um, very heavy. Yeah. Because you're working long days. Yeah. You're, you're, it's like your, your, your passion, your hobby, your work. Yeah. Um, so if you're not careful, your social life. Yeah. Uh, other things so I, I think that can be one of the downsides uh, because if you're if you're in a job for instance which is not maybe your total passion if if it's a good thing you find a very steady balance in work you go uh, uh, it's friday it's five o'clock you go home uh, you're at nine at the office um it's, it's a it's a different i think especially changing your passion um, yeah so that could be one of the downsides I think. yeah and yeah you just leave everything for it to achieve yeah. your goal which is your passion yeah my own brain <laughs> um, ah. what advice would you give to someone who is in that quarter life crisis situation trying to figure out what am I going to do has maybe all of these passions yeah 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 how do you are there ways that you at least found yourself to be able to figure out what what path is right at the moment? Yeah, I think, I think don't be harsh on yourself. Give yourself the time. Uh, a long time. We've, a lot of times people, like, we feel the pressure of, of doing something. 
but sometimes it's good to really give yourself the time and it's i i, I think probably who, who, people who will hear this say oh yeah that's more easier said than done but trust me i've done it in a situation that was not ideal in terms of income or whatever give yourself the time to really reflect things that you have done and really reflect where you want to go and don't do it like 10 minutes at the bus stop while you're going to the next meeting yeah truly go to like Tesla or go to uh, your, your your parents house or whatever and just sit in the garden or wherever you can and just be alone yeah um and check where your passion lies and if you could really make up daily goals and, and make daily goals for seven days a week and find a pattern and in nine out of ten times you will find a pattern in those daily goals and and you will see that those daily goals point you to a certain maybe passion or or a certain job that you are doing or certain way you want to live if the daily passion is you want to surf every day at 5 30 maybe then you should find a steady job that stops at five yeah <laughs> uh, or open a surf shop yeah <laughs> yeah so it, it can in any it can give you but it gives you a very i think a very easy path in in finding out in step by step and in, in where you want to go with your life and what you want to do yeah um, and i've this worked for me and i saw it actually work with couple of other people um, it's not only about finding purpose but it's also finding the way you want to be in a week yeah you find a way how you want to be in a week it's probably the way you want to be in a month it's probably the way you want to be in a year it's probably the way you want to be for this coming period of your life yeah okay it's also a little bit like the the the, the, the round circle yeah instead of going how everybody's telling you how to do it just have an it. idea do it. Does it work for you? Great. Write it down. Step yeah. one, we're at it. Just don't make the process too long. Yeah. Because deep down, I believe everybody knows what you want. Yeah, exactly. But Just you have to find it. Zooming in on that part when you were explaining, you said, yeah, a lot of people will probably say, oh, it's easy for you to say. Yeah. Why do you think that is? That people have this response that, for example, a similar one is money doesn't make you happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you also get a lot of responses. It's easy for you to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Uh, like the Dutch saying, the, the beste stuurluis staan aan wal. Uh, it's, it's like, um, I, I think it's easy from the sideline or it's easy to be in a situation where uh, solutions are handed to you, but already saying from the start, they won't work for you. Right. And that's again, comes maybe back to the other things that we discussed. If you don't try, you don't know. Yeah. So... Um, no, yoga isn't for me. I always said my entire life. Now I'm an idiot who's doing yoga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not an idiot, but you know what I mean. I, 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 I never yeah, thought yeah. it was for me. But yeah. um, And I think you should, if you're in a position where you don't know what works for you, just try everything you can. Yeah. Because if you don't try, you don't know if it works. Right. And uh, just by trying again, yeah. you will learn so many new people. You will learn so many new things. You will You will see so many new opportunities. And... A lot of time, again, it's a little bit in the Dutch culture, I think. It's, it's saying in upfront, wow, that don't work. Yeah. They won't succeed. Uh, no, that's nothing for me. Um, and no, just try, just do it. Yeah. And, and be open to new experiences. Um, and don't stick to the, the steady circle you're in. Just okay. Go, go try out other things. You don't need to go do ayahuasca or whatever, but, <laughs> uh, but, but talk to people you never talk to. Yeah. Uh, a lot of time, we, we have the old school caste system, you know, like before, you had the Christian, you had this, yeah, and blah, yeah. blah, blah, like yeah. the old school Dutch system. Sometimes I still believe we're a little bit 
uh, in those systems because you go to the same bar, you go to the same club with the same group of friends, probably the same people as your friends are there because you have the same interests. But it's also very cool to just mingle and go to other ways of, of, of whatever and, yeah. and, and get new ideas and, and, and see how those uh, things maybe change for you. Very beautifully said. What does the future hold for Mela and also the good role, maybe? Um, the future holds for me that we're coming in phase in my good role life, as I call it, is that we've been very good at the first part, which is creating a company, hopefully an inspiring company, hopefully a creative company, hopefully successful company um, and as I always call it now we need very clever people um, so we're coming at a part that I don't know um, the best of any situation anymore before I knew it with my bluff I knew it with my entrepreneurial skills and just go for it and the passion that we would succeed but now we need people that are very good in logistics right. we need people that are very good in HR yep. we need people that can help us uh, bring the company to to a next level, and of course we'll be very involved. Um, but hopefully we're coming into a phase where I'm working on the company and not in it, uh, because the last four years the founders have been in the company, which we love and, and loved. Mm -hmm. But I think we're coming to a phase where we're going to work on the company, so okay. from the outside looking in, yeah, um, and and uh, being in, for instance, my role is the creative role, uh, Sander's role is like the strategy role, the long part. Mm -hmm. Faisal's role is the African part. Um, so maybe we, in the next phase, we're going to work on it again and not in it, which gives us the opportunity to reflect, think, uh, and come up with ideas which are not um, downsized or not possible because we're too focused in it. Yeah. Um, so I hope that's going to be, and I, I foresee that's going to be the, the future of me uh, in the good role. Um, and for myself, um, I hope, to create a brand in the future and to inspire that uh, by creating cool products, you can uh, make a social impact. Yeah. So not only toilet paper, it's maybe wine or water or a dishwasher or whatever. So uh, products that do good. Uh, so still the mission, but maybe expand a little bit. We don't know. <laughs> awesome. Think you have an amazing thing going and uh, thank you, you thank can you. be very proud of what you've already established. Thank you. And with that, I want to thank you for your time and your wisdom today. Great, thank you. And I will end it. Cool, thanks. Thanks. <laughs>